Hi, this podcast is recorded on Gadigal land. Lee and I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of this place and also the custodians of the place where you're listening, wherever you are. Well, hi-de-ho, you. Hello. We have had the most fun time having a long weekend in Hong Kong. It just sounds like something out of succession, doesn't it? Oh. We just popped to Hong Kong for the weekend. <laughs> so it's... let us give you the background about this. We um, Sales so just wants te- to go straight back. That, <laughs> I do. That is... I in the car on the way here, I was like, can you believe that last weekend we were in Hong Kong? Um, so we this is the 10th year of Chat 10, which boggles my mind, actually, when I think of how fast. I can only is. remember two of those years. <laughs> <laughs> um, and... So we're doing a big show in London in the middle of the year as like a 10th anniversary kind of celebration. And then we got contacted by this lovely woman in Hong Kong called Stephanie Evanett, who runs the Australian Chamber um, of Commerce up there, AusCham. And she said, would you consider bringing Chat 10 to Hong Kong if we had a lunch or something like that? Because Hong Kong has the second largest number of expats after UK. Australian expats. Mm. Australian expats, yep. Would you consider doing it? And so we sort of thought... As per usual, we're like, no, that because we, we could never. I don't know. Hang on a minute. Could we? Maybe we actually Maybe we could not. make that work. When, when are you thinking? Anyway, so we had a long, long lead in time to it, and uh, so we went, which was so fantastic because um, we got to meet tons of ch- expat chatters up there, and we hear a lot from expats actually who listen to the pod, and it's like a kind of taste from home. So for us to actually go to them instead of hearing from expats was awesome. I would describe the gathering as enthusiastic, as Malcolm Turnbull would say, uh, enthusiastic. Yeah, oh my gosh, there was a lot of chattiness there. Um, And Kimberly, who's the chatter, who raised the idea of having us come and talk at there, because it was a G'day HK day for the Chamber of Commerce. And also like, God, all this, um, well, Hong Kong's had a tough number of years on a number Mm. of fronts, um, ongoing political upheaval, obviously, but also um, COVID, you know, an extraordinary um, few years. And I think that Australians living there, running businesses there, have had um, a very challenging time of it. So there was a real feel of like, hello. Yeah. (laughs) It was interesting actually getting, because people kind of wanted to know, well, what's the vibe back home? What are people sort of thinking about what's happening in Hong Kong? But also um, stuff like Tourism's only recovered to 60% pre-COVID up there and so they're obviously desperate for people to kind of return. I should make it super clear actually yeah, I was because, gonna say. <laughs> because we already sound like we're an advertisement for Hong Kong. We This is not a sponsored or paid <laughs> podcast for Hong Kong. It has nothing to do with what we did for Ostcham. We just decided when we were up there because we had such an interesting time and we saw so many interesting things that we wanted to talk about stuff that we had done while we were up there. So to just make it crystal clear, everything that we're talking about – we took ourselves off to nothing has been planted. It's all just stuff that we are interested in talking about. Nor was there any agreement that we would do a Hong Kong podcast. No. We just decided to because, oh, my God, we got to read some books and go to some things. Oh, and and just know. hang out together. In, I know people think that we hang out together all the time, but actually, as we've said before, about 99% of our time hanging out together is when we're pressing record in this <laughs> format. So actually to kind of sit next to you, I was going to say to sit next to you on a long flight and talk to you, but no, I didn't do that because we came back overnight. So yeah, just mask slept. straight on, yep. straight to sleep. Straight to sleep, exactly. No chitty chat for sales. So can I say, I think my – so firstly, just can I just think, I've been to Hong Kong before. You haven't. I haven't. I went in um, 2018 or 19. And so how? what did it compare to 
to when you were there last? Um, I actually thought it seemed unchanged. Um, I mean, obviously, <laughs> I missed the bits where it was closed and also completely jammed with demonstrations. So, like, I thought that um, since the um, security laws and Beijing's um, clampdown that it would be a very different experience to visit and I was surprised at how the same it felt but that is to an Australian visitor yeah. coming in on an Australian passport you know and yeah a, sort of meeting up with expats so I think that the experience for Hong Kongers is probably has been significantly different and is um under risk of changing all the time as well yeah um, it's I mean, I'd never been there before. I think my absolute favourite thing of that whole trip was this gallery that we went to, which we were recommended to go to because it's run by an Australian at the moment. It's called the M Plus Gallery. That was absolutely fantastic. It's contemporary art and it's con- it's just a con- sort of contemporary Asian art, basically. There, there was... The thing that hooked us in to go was that there was a fashion exhibition on which we are both suckers for, which was a woman, um, it was about a woman called Madame Song who was a muse, I guess, of Pierre Cardin, but also... So an actor and oh, what an, an artist life. and a singer and a kind of She was amazing, goddess. absolutely incredible. Um, and so they had some of her clothes and then some of her artworks and bits of her films and so that was really super fantastic. And the building itself is incredible. It's like a gorgeously designed building. I think it's a Swiss architects. It was only made, it was only built in... An, 2019 I think so if you can think about the kind of straight like it was commissioned like pre the um, mass Hong Kong demonstrations against the security laws brought by Beijing and then opened in that new environment so I was interested to go because I thought I wonder how much artistic freedom there is in this cultural institution. I thought there was. Yeah, there was certainly um, a lot of. There was. Yeah, it certainly wasn't free of commentary about China's history yeah. and so on. They did um, when they first opened um, not exhibit an Ai Weiwei piece, which is that one of him, a photograph of him giving the finger at Tiananmen Square. Oh. So, I've, and I sort of got that feeling just talking to people through our whole trip that. This is a sort of place that is in a kind of limbo between um, yeah between cultures a little bit like so yeah under control by Beijing but very but like a different cultural experience than being mm. in Beijing and I guess maybe it works for China to kind of maintain that kind of halfway house but anyway it's. We're not experts, obviously, and um, nor would I ever hold myself out to be, but it's definitely a place where you think, well, I wonder what is going to happen next. It did. I have been to Beijing and it did, you know, many years ago, like 18 years ago, and it did feel like a very different city to me, to Beijing, and I felt like I just, it was the British influence was still really evident, I thought, compared to Beijing. Um, Yeah. Just even in like the names of places and street names. And the architecture. Yeah, yeah. all of that kind of stuff. When um, I thought, okay, I'm going to, in honour of this visit, I'm going to read a book that's set in Hong Kong. So I read The Painted Veil by Somerset Maugham. Yeah, I've never Maugham. read that. 
far out it's a great book. Yeah. So, and it also just blew my mind a little about how quickly Hong Kong has changed in a hundred years and how many different iterations it's kind of bounced through. So The Painted Veil is a story about this um, beautiful young woman with an extremely pushy mother um, in the UK. She's the most beautiful of the of the um, daughters and um, but she sort of dithers a bit when coming out into society and selecting a husband and then her less attractive sister snags a husband and she's panicking that she's too old so she panic marries a guy who is uh, a scientist who's based in Hong Kong. It's not called Hong Kong in the book because when it was published nearly 100 years ago, um, there was this huge controversy where a family living in Hong Kong who had the same name was all for, already for suing because they thought that it looked like the book was based on them because it's quite like... Oh, right. It's, it's quite a racy book. Um. So she goes to Hong Kong... Um, with her husband, who she quickly discovers is boring and not of interest to her, so she commences an affair with the deputy consul um, uh, and he's this sort of handsome, muscular buffed. Um, <laughs> and so it's all about um, uh, dissatisfaction, um, like the erotic thrill of something that you can't have. Right. Um, and she undergoes this quite extraordinary... Um, process of epiphany over the course of the book but I was amazed by two things one the way that Somerset Maugham wrote so assuredly as a woman like with a female principal character um I thought it was really convincing I thought the book was super edgy for its time but also the description of what Hong Kong was like at that time, i.e., you know, she and her husband go to a place where there's a cholera outbreak and they travel there in chairs carried, like, <laughs> long distances by locals. You know, and like that's it's, only 100 years ago. Correct. Wow. Yeah. So that kind of incredible colonial yeah. background is so recent and if I was reading this book and then walking through these sort of skyscrapers and right. um, visiting that incredible gallery and thinking, how can this only be a hundred years ago? So, what what does the title "The Painted Veil" refer to? Um, it's about because she falls she falls in with a bunch of nuns, as you can understand. <laughs> and so, I think it's a little bit about um, uh, the assumption or like the getting of moral wisdom, right? Because the nuns that she um, eventually gets to know teach her something very profound about um, human values. So I guess it's like she's not a nun but um, right. she's – I assume that's what the right. painted veil is about right. because she's, she didn't take the veil but, you know. Call, or, call in, <laughs> listeners, if you've got a different theory as to what that actually refers to. That's really unfair. Like, she's like, <laughs> right, what's the non-inflating? It's a very year 12 HSC English it question, really is. isn't it? really is. But, um, I mean, you just read into it whatever you want, really. Just um, before I get to the gallery. Yeah, I, like, yeah. I, same. I just want to talk about one piece of art there that really made a very significant impact on me. It was called Old People's Home. The artists were Sun Wan and Peng Yu. It was... This huge um, kind of installation, which was all of these big, I guess they were wax, but I'm not really sure, dummies that were life-size 
set up to look like aged world leaders, um, all in wheelchairs. The, the artwork was called Old People's Home. And every few hours they switch it on and the wheelchairs, you know, they're all kind of, some of them are like slumped over asleep and some are kind of hanging back, but they're basically just all extremely old people. And then the wheelchairs kind of are on this automatic loop where they go around and they bump kind of into each other. Yeah, they're like dodging cars. So when they bump, they kind of reverse and then change direction. So it's this constantly kinetic movement of confused old men just sort of zooming about yeah. in their electric wheelchairs. I, I thought it was absolutely amazing because firstly it was a reminder that, geez, no matter how powerful you are, one day you are an old person sitting in a chair, like that happens to all of us. And luckily these days you can just stay in power. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's sort of like an uncomfortable reflection of where some very great nations of our world are currently at. That's true. But also the kind of random bumping and then the, the motions that were set off in other directions, um, it reminded me of just global affairs. Right, because the idea that the chance meeting between two possibly unreliable, usually male kind of leaders possibly ageing, can somehow set off a reaction that produces a different set of movements every time. I was thinking even just in terms of as them representing countries and the way like different countries have interactions that change the course of history. Oh, I thought you were about to talk about tectonic plates. (laughs) No. Let's not overcook this. No, no geology. Now, this is a diversion from Hong Kong, but again, while we're on art, I just... I haven't finished with the the gallery yet. Uh, Can I say one, two more things? Yes, of course. Um, That was quite a big work as well. So you walk into this room and you think, what are all these? And they're so lifelike. You think, this is huge. And then you come back the appointed time and they all just start moving. And it's also the attendants go on and like switch each of the like wheelchairs on one by one. So it's this sort of gradual commencement of activity. But like two others that I found like really interesting, there was – kind of a part of the gallery that looks at um, uh, traditional landscape art, but it's all Chinese landscape art that's been sort of altered in some way or it's an interpretation. And my favourite one in there was this, like, giant series of um, ink paintings on silk that looked like that very traditional kind of Chinese landscape painting. But if you look up really close, there's all these, I mean, it's completely filthy. There's just all these animals having sex with each other and people having sex with animals. Like it's a full bestiality free for all. And you're just kind of like, oh, isn't that, oh, oh, what is that hippo doing? Like it just, it's such a, um, yeah, it's really clever. And I looked at it for what would probably in family hours be deemed an inappropriately long time. And then also, I just think like, Obviously, China is so incredibly populous that you've got this sort of – there's almost a f- like the, the giant um, mass of humanity is almost like a creative element of mm. the whole entity. And I think in a couple of the places – the couple of the pieces that I really liked, um, I thought the artists made use of this idea of like a – a teeming like um, mass of humanity and reflected it in art and like yep. there's this um, just right near the um, old chaps in the in the um, electric chairs there was this work called um, by an artist called Marquet 
it's called Ultra Realistic, the first part of Marquet's left index finger. And it's 10 panels and absolutely covered with meticulously arranged um, Chinese no, um, calligraphy, oh, characters all about the size of a grain of rice. Right. And the whole 10 panels is a nonstop description by the artist of the top joint of his left index finger. <laughs> Just this wow. d- density of commentary on the tiniest thing. I don't know. It just. I thought you were going to say the big photographic pieces oh, I love that, that were too. detritus that had been collected. So it was lighters and cigarette butts and chewing gum packets and and just all manner of stuff arranged into these big kind of um, looking down on them. Yeah, photographed from above. Yeah, Yeah. they were kind of pretty amazing. Yeah, because, I mean, they had a thoroughly different effect from far away to, you know, as you got closer. I mean, there was just a lot of scale there, which was, I guess when you're building um, a gallery, you can actually account for giant artworks and use the landscape as well like there's one thing I liked about the gallery is that um there's a lot of um architecture content a lot of design content um and some of the galleries actually sort of looked out to the harbour with with all this industrial machinery and you felt like it was part of the landscape as well as yeah um, because like heaps of that Hong Kong harbour is you know actually been reclaimed like it's actually shrunk over the last hundred years because of so much um um you know they literally build new land into the water to create more space incredible same as Um, Singapore it gave me so that gallery when I was about to divert from Hong Kong it was because that gallery gave me the same feeling as this exhibition that I just saw at the National Gallery in Canberra which is the Emily Karma Nguare exhibition that's on there at the moment I highly highly recommend it but what that gallery and and the um, Nguare exhibition gave me that sense of it's just extraordinary how artistic creativity exists everywhere absolutely everywhere and the thing that was just gobsmacking um, about Nguare was so she started painting as a septuagenarian she started in batik um, and then shifted onto canvas this exhibition so she basically I think painted for about her career was about eight years long no yep eight years she did and she did three thousand works in eight years so basically a painting every single day and the scale of them is just gigantic the it, it was absolutely gobsmacking the command of color and composition you just can't fathom how somebody can have such a grasp of it um she's she's from utopia which is i in had Northern no Territory. idea that her painting career was so short yeah wow. and so late so what took us along then what made her start um, there was like I think from memory reading the stuff at the at the exhibition and watching there's a fantastic video with her descendants as well talking about her they call her the old woman oh um, they do a good job I mean like I remember the Cressida Campbell film yeah as part of that exhibition was really really good like yeah better than you usually see you know um, yeah and yeah so, somehow somebody came through and introduced the community to, to Batik I think that's how you pronounce it yep. isn't it yeah um and so they started working on the fabric but then over time that's pretty hard work apparently because you have to sort of 
prepare the fabric by yep. sort of trying to get, I think, the wax out of it and stuff and blah, blah. So it's yeah, it's big, all about wax on, wax off. It's a big it's, involved you know, process, yeah. Yep. It's a little bit like Karate Kid in that way. Yeah. <laughs> and then so she shifted, somebody introduced it to canvas and she shifted to canvas and preferred it as a medium. So it's kind of like accidental. I think in her earlier life she worked on like cattle stations and stuff. Oh and God. so she, as a septuagenarian, then found this medium that she was extraordinary and then pretty much as soon as people saw her work she was like of national and then international renown straight away because it was so ex- incredible so all a couple of that of composition just comes from inside yeah. and knowledge of country yeah. so there was this really great bit in the video where they show one of her dot paintings and then they superimpose the landscape where she lives like a shot from above mm. which obviously someone of her age and place would have no way of ever having seen that land from above like that um it's a drone shot and you can almost superimpose it directly over the dot painting like the colors and the kind of layout of the land it was just absolutely extraordinary anyway it was just kind of I just walked out of there and thought that was phenomenal and the NGA is doing I mean I thought that Cressida Campbell exhibition was one of my favorite things I've ever seen um the Nangware exhibition's not that far off either it was just absolutely superb so if you're in Canberra I highly recommend setting aside an hour and just nipping in there for a quick sticky beak yeah well the NGA is always um worth just going to anyway on the off chance but they've got I a mean, big Gauguin exhibition coming right, up that's later coming this up year too. That and they're looking at um it's going to be very interesting because they're going to look at not just because you know Gauguin did so much painting in Tahiti yep. so they're going to have a look at it from the perspective of Tahiti as well as oh excellent yeah so that'll be fascinating I reckon yeah lots to do um I want to just talk about um, television for a second because, weirdly enough, when we were in Hong Kong, um, the Nicole Kidman's series called Expats oh, yeah. started broadcasting in Australia, but you couldn't like, – I've seen the first couple of episodes, which is all I could see. Right. Um, and then I don't think – that it's screening in Hong Kong. Oh, okay. Even though it was filmed in Hong Kong. Right. And there was a big controversy at the time because I think the government allowed um, the relaxation of various COVID rules for the film to be made. So there was a lot of, you know, special treatment for Nicole Kidman, whatever. Um, So I don't know if it will air in Hong Kong. Um, It is a story about an expat population population of extreme wealth. And is it is, does it explicitly say it's set in Hong Kong? Correct, right. yeah. Um, and I think towards the end of the series or later in the series, um, it it features um, the pro-demo- pro-democracy protests of 2019. Oh, okay. So I don't know how they handle that. It'll be interesting to see whether, you know, the dispensation for filming there had any other, you know, yeah, right. um, strings attached. Um but the series starts in this sort of apartment building that's inhabited by these wealthy. You're just never quite sure what the husbands do, but they all do something important. And the wives are kind of raising children and also having everything done for them by live-in helpers right? Um, who get one day off a week and that's it. Um, and the story is, I'm not giving anything away here because it happens pretty early, um, you become aware that um, Nicole Kidman, um, who's uh, married and has three children, um, has met this young woman um, 
a young Korean woman who's in Hong Kong and they get along well and Nicole thinks maybe she'd make a good nanny or whatever. So they go out for dinner together um, and then they go to the ladies' market, which is oh, this yeah. sort of late, uh, late night opening, very kind of bustly kind of bric-a-brac market. And the child, the youngest child, goes missing. Nicole Kidman's child. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And she's in the supervision of the nanny at, nanny the, time. at the time who's on her phone and then looks up. Oh, and, yeah, God. And then, yeah, yeah, I know. So it's kind of like... Oh, I don't know if I want to watch that. It's um, yeah, it, it is like it's... It's, it's about Nicole Kidman's uncertainty, her grief, obviously, um, her suspicion of her neighbours, her changing relationship with all these other expats who've still got their children or are trying to have children and she is sort of frozen in this kind of state of agitation, not knowing what's happened to her child. That sounds like about the least fun thing you could spend your time doing. (laughs) So a couple of things. So it's directed by Lulu Wang um, who won a Golden Globe um, for her film The Farewell. the young woman who plays the babysitter is her name's Ji Young Yu. She is really, really good, and she. I'm really focused and interested in the development of her character and the way that she handles her feelings of guilt with her feelings of lostness. She's sort of a long way from home. Anyway, like that is really absorbing, and. From what I've read, I understand that um, in the next couple of episodes, the the eye of the program turns away from these wealthy expats and towards the life of the domestic staff that kind of populate oh, yeah. their homes. And so I'll be really interested to see that too. So, yeah, I'm kind of, yeah, I, I'm, I definitely want to keep watching it. Um, so a couple of other notable things. So I, as I said, had never been to Hong Kong before. So I tempted you having a sleep in one morning and I got up early to do the tram up Victoria Peak that everyone had told me, oh, you've got to do that. And as it's going up, I'm thinking... It's pretty foggy. I don't think I'm going to see very much. I reckon once I kind of got out at the tram stop, I could see about a metre in front of my own hand. It was just... You texted about 6.30 saying... I'm off, I'm, I'm off to go see the peak. And I look at outside and I thought, are you going to see? Never. Maybe you'll be above, above the smog. I think it's <laughs> look, one thing you can't control. It, it was still enjoyable taking the tram up the very <laughs> steep side of the hill. But, yeah, I certainly didn't see a single thing. I could have been in Norway for all I could see. <laughs> Well, we uh, we did see a spectacular sight, which was we were staying in a hotel, the Hotel Shangri-La Island. I mention it not because we got a freebie, but because it has in the middle of the building this like fifty meter high silk painting. It's like a silk landscape painting, and it's I don't know, like it's many many stories high. So, and there's a particular lift with a glass wall, so you can get in and just it's. Just mind-boggling. One of my favourite moments, though, was like, now, if you're in a hotel that has a simple hotel breakfast, yep. you know, like, it's pretty straightforward. If you're in a fancy one that has a million different options, I, A, get completely nervous that I'm going to do the wrong thing and then I also have total <laughs> options paralysis. So I quite often, if I'm in that, quite often, because I stay in fancy hotels all the time, but, like, 
I'll sometimes just be like, I can't make a decision. So I have a cup of tea and like an egg or something and then walk out. Um, now, A, there was a very good egg selection I, at this hotel. I like know exactly where you're going with this story. quail. That made me just laugh and laugh because I'm like, I will be able to regale you with tales of this. But the most glorious thing happened. <laughs> um, we headed straight for the sort of local area, um, the sort of dim summy area. And honestly, if you can have dim sum for breakfast, you always should. And um, you had just had discovered radish cake um, yes. and were very, very keen to get amongst it. Anyway, sales goes up to this counter and there's you know like there's 100 million options or whatever and she starts like she grabs this spoon and starts bogging into and I pull off like a kind of glass cloche that's yep. over a, mm-hmm. a thing plate of noodly things and this guy behind the counter just kind of barks at me like no no, no. and he's so like, like no you can't do no, no madam no and um although <laughs> like, with a less of an Aussie accent and and then he goes um and Sal goes what? that's the display food <laughs> So he's trying to eat the display food. If there's anything that can make you feel more like a fish out of water in a location, it's when you get busted trying to eat the display food in a fancy place. It was like it was. I was just one of the great moments of my life. I just really (laughs) because you know you get that feeling when you watch someone doing something that honestly you would have done yourself <laughs> and the sense of relief that it happened to Lee Sales and not you. <laughs> I reckon I was, I was like, absolutely scarlet and then I was like, I'll just have a slice of multigrain toast. <laughs> that is fine. Oh, God. <laughs> that was great. Yeah. Um, speaking of food, food. so oh, I know there was one it. night where I went on a um, – you were having a quiet night and I went out with a friend who's in Hong Kong playing with the Philharmonic and so we did a bit of a bar hop and a bit of a dumpling hop. And so that was great because that was – I'd done all my research about, okay, where's like the best cheap dumpling places but good quality, blah, blah, blah. And so we ended up in this absolute dive, which was exactly the kind of food that I wanted. So it was awesome. Um, And then – but you and I then um, went on a different night to a restaurant that had been recommended to us that actually, in fact, somebody said, if you want to go, I'll I'll see if I can book you a table. So someone – very kindly booked us a table. Jeff kindly booked us a table um, at a restaurant called Arcane, which is run by an Australian man called Shane Osborne. Arcane by Shane. I mean, it's brilliant. It's bold. <laughs> um, but, you know, he's a ridiculously accomplished chef. Extremely from he got, Perth. I think. He got chatting. Yeah. Him. Yeah. Um, uh, First Australian to get two Michelin stars, I think. Correct. Yeah. Um, and and that was at his London restaurant that he used to do, Pierre de Terre, and now right. he's got two places, I think, in Hong Kong, including this arcane place. And oh, it was so great. And Jeff, when he got off the blower, said to me, look, if I can be so bold as to tell you what I think you should order, you should get the gnocchi and you should get this dessert, which was a yuzu and lemon Posset. Now, what what exactly is posset? You okay, know that I don't. so I know the answer to this question um, because you know my old friend Wendy who does the recipes for Kitchen Cabinet, and also yes. we've done um, a couple of cookbooks together. She talked me like nagged me for yonks to make a dessert called posset. Now, if you've ever had a newborn baby. Um, you'll be slightly put off by this term because it's the same word that's used for the little bit of upchuck that babies do on your shoulder when they, right? And essentially posset is where you use an acid to coagulate 
Oh. A dairy product, right? Oh. Right? Oh, okay. So, so it, it really is the same principle as the Well, baby I didn't like to draw too milk. close yeah. a line. I'm so glad you didn't tell me this I, at dinner. Well, I didn't because I knew it would freak you out and yeah. you just had that thing with the eating the display <laughs> food. So obviously you're vulnerable, which I enjoy and like to prolong as, as much <laughs> as possible. But um, – in, in fact, like posset is like a medieval dish. It's mentioned oh. in Shakespeare. There's a few possets going oh. around. And back in um, the very, very olden days, they used to like – they would use wine to kind of like curdle milk and like sounds absolutely oh. gross or beer. Ugh. But this is basically – it ends up being a bit like panna cotta, like it's like a um, – Yeah. But you oh. use like – you add lemon juice to cream – and it's heated, and some, and the acid kind of solidifies the right. yeah. So the the recipe that Wendy wrote um, is a lemon verbena posset, and of course, like I was all scrunched up face about it, and like posset sounds like spew, etc. And then when I made it, it was just so incredibly tasty oh. that I was won over. And so when I saw that a restaurateur had been courageous enough to posset. Um, I was like, that's going to be incredible. That and was it, my favourite wow. thing I ate the whole trip. That was absolutely delicious. So the, I, mean, I love yuzu The posset it's, itself was yuzu, which is that brilliant Asian um, citrus. Um, and it also had some um, kind of poached mandarin segments, which oh, I love that. Now, Lest, I should say at and this it, point, sorry, didn't mean to cut you off. Lest anyone be thinking, oh, who even are these people? Sales appears to have gone highbrow. I just want to assure you that I've got a good surprise for you in the next podcast. <laughs> it's going to really remind you that I'm just a little bogan from Brisbane, no matter how much posset I might eat. Oh, did I tell you what happened last night um, with my dog? I wouldn't, no. I wouldn't have. Speaking, right, so... Um, yeah. uh, <laughs> had some people around uh, late last week and um, served up some party pies for the kids, like just sort of straight from the supermarket party pies. And obviously some kid, like probably one of mine or whatever, like at some point... It's I'm just flooded with relief right now because I know I wasn't at your house no, you, so it's not my kids. So anyway, my daughter Kate was in her bedroom doing something or other and... The dog wandered in and started doing sort of oh no <laughs> like yeah like hairball style oh. and so Kate's like what's gonna and Kate says that like she then just did this and then deposited on the rug a fully formed party pie oh that is disgusting like, that is so not, disgusting but like how does that I mean like so at some point the dog seems obviously obviously found this pie. Swallowed scarfed it, it and then wow but it was like I mean I'm like I could have put it on a plate for you and you wouldn't have noticed and you know with my sardine it was probably background. healthier than that sardine dip you dished up that time <laughs> oh, oh that's God, disgusting really, who cleaned so, that up it, it it just was I Kate just picked it up with a tissue and put it in the bin oh, because gosh. it didn't need to be oh but it still had no further <laughs> anyway um, wow this is I'll show you so the spot. disgusting um, I, do you know what's really annoying me I apologize to everyone listening to this Ugh. do you know what's really annoying me about my ongoing vocal issues yeah. where I I just can't shriek like I <laughs> I feel like my my band of expression is like temporarily yeah like um, when you're in a foreign country and you don't speak the language and it alters oh, your personality oh and you can't yeah, yeah exactly I'm not yeah. this quiet anyway I'm normally snorting a lot more um, um 
So, anything else we need to cover? No. For our ridiculous cat now expedition. That, now, that, now that you've dropped that anecdote out of that, you're barfing up a fully formed party pie. I just want to get out of here yeah, and cleanse my, my yeah, brain. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, thank All you right. to the uh, um, lovely thank chatters. Thank you to Ozchan and um, um, Steph who and so, all the chatters. Yeah. It was so fun. We just we loved it. Yeah, it was nice to. Thanks for having us. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know. See, we'll see travel. Your, see your London people. Yeah, yeah that's right. right. That's right. Any other um, chambers around yeah. or chatters in other countries that sound appealing? I was chatting to a friend last night about Finnish saunas, and I've never been to Finland either. I've never been to Finland. Keen to go back to Tokyo. I mean, you know, Vietnam. Yeah. I feel like I really. Anyway, just playing. Call one eight. Call one eight hundred. Fat cats on the loose. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening or watching. Uh, you can find more of our content on YouTube or if you don't like to look at our faces and let's face it, that would be fair enough. You can listen to us on Spotify or wherever else you choose.